You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. Turn to Exodus 20, please. And today we're starting a new series, having completed the series in the Gospel of Matthew. Through the Gospel of Matthew, we start a new series today on the Ten Commandments. Wanting to preach this for a while, I think it's a very important text of Holy Scripture, and I invite you to turn to Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21, where the Ten Commandments of God are recorded for the first time in their entirety. I could summarize our generation and our day with one word. It is the word lawlessness, lawlessness. That is what characterizes our age, lawlessness. In homes where children hold their families hostage with temper tantrums, And teenagers spurn the wisdom of their mother and father. What do you find there is lawlessness. That's what it is, lawlessness. In churches that don't practice church discipline, where families are disordered, miserable, the churches themselves are dysfunctional, often controlled, by the most virulent busybodies and gossips? What is the controlling element of those churches but lawlessness? That's what runs them. Government agencies and politicians and bureaucrats, they do as they wish with impunity while punishing opposition and dissidents under the pretense of the rule of law, but it is none other than lawlessness. And we have experienced that in our own church with how we've been treated. There's no order in the streets. Why? Lawlessness. There's no sense in the legislature. Why? Lawlessness. And there's no justice in the courts. Why? Lawlessness. This is the one characteristic attribute of our age. Lawlessness. Lawlessness. There's a prescient quote from Charlton Heston's famous movie, The Ten Commandments. He plays Moses in the movie. And when he encounters the Pharaoh, he says to the Pharaoh, presciently, man shall be ruled by law, not by the will of other men. That's true. And when you remove the fixed letter written by the finger of God in stone, men will conflate their own whims 
with law. So that the whims and the wills and the will and the desires of man is now considered the rule of law. And law, as you look at Scripture, has several purposes. God's given us law for a reason. There's several reasons. We'll go over those in this series if the Lord tarries. One of the purposes of law is to restrain. It restrains wickedness. It acts as a dam against wickedness. Like the dam restrains the waters, so the law restrains wickedness. And we live in a day of lawlessness when the restraints have been lifted. This is a lawless generation. As the rivers break through a dam, so the lawless have broken through the restraints. Lawlessness. It is as the prophet Amos said many years ago, thousands of years ago, the prophet Amos said, but you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Justice, what is called justice in our generation is poison. What they call justice is poison. It's toxic. Have you seen that? And what they call righteousness is wormwood. Have you seen that? Bitter and rotten to the core is what they call righteousness. Abominations are considered rights, while actual rights are now considered abominations. Good is evil, evil is good, up is down, left is right, right is left, man is woman, slavery is freedom, hate is love, love is hate, beauty is ugly, lawlessness. Lawlessness. The entire society needs to be reset. The churches need to be reset on a firm foundation. The families and the businesses and the legislatures and the courts all need to be reset on a firm foundation because they're lawless. They're lawless. The entire society has been given over to an abyss of lawlessness. And so, if it's going to start somewhere, it's going to start here. If it's going to start somewhere, it's going to start in this pulpit. And it's going to start in our hearts and in our homes and in our church. We're going to declare war and we're going to draw a line in the sand against lawlessness. And if the society will continue to be lawless, we will seek Christ and seek to be done and repent of the lawlessness. Lawlessness. That's why I decided to preach through the Ten Commandments. Because 
Lawlessness is what characterizes our age and our generation in our society. Everything in our society. Front to back, right to left, top to bottom, everything in that and everything beyond that is lawless. They call, they have made justice into poison and they have turned righteousness into wormwood. It's lawless. Let me read from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not have, or you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it... You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, and that you may not sin. 
The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, we draw near to you through the thick darkness because Christ stands there before you as our mediator. And though the law will thunder with great flashes of lightning and strike our hearts with terror and teach us that we are sinners, we look to Christ, our great Savior. Father, teach us and instruct us. Repair what has been broken in our world and reset the restraints. Would the law of God have its proper place in our hearts, in our homes, in our church, and in our society? Would it be so, Lord Jesus? Would we cherish our Lord Jesus above all? Bring about the conviction of sin today, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I have one goal today, and my goal today will carry on till next week. During the first service, I wondered how much I would complete, and I didn't complete it, so I'm not going to complete it during the second service. So this sermon now has two parts, and this is the first part of my introduction to the Ten Commandments. It might even extend to three parts. We'll see. But I want to set things up properly before I get into actually expositing the Ten Commandments, because I think there's a lot of confusion in our society and in our churches with bad teaching that has leavened the church. And here's my aim today, one aim. I want to prove the present and binding authority of the Ten Commandments for today. So I want to demonstrate today, as I open the text of Scripture, that the Ten Commandments are presently authoritative and are presently binding as a standard of righteousness and justice. I want to prove that today. That's my goal, because there's so much confusion. People say things, well, we're not under law, we're under grace, and that is a Bible verse, but they've misunderstood what it means. Or we're dead to the law and alive in Christ, and that is a Bible verse, but again, people have misunderstood what it means. And I'll go over those Bible verses next time we gather together, because today I'm going to deal exclusively with the Old Testament, and next time we gather, the plan is to deal with the Old Test- or the New Testament. So today's the Old Testament teaching us of the binding authority of the Ten Commandments, and then next week, God willing... We'll look at the New Testament teaching the binding authority of the Ten Commandments. And here's my two points as I seek to prove this, as I set this forward to you this morning, that the Ten Commandments are binding and authoritative. The first reason that I'll present to you today that will substantiate that claim is that they were enforced before they were revealed at Sinai. Sinai is where Moses went, and Moses received the Ten Commandments of God. They were written in stone and delivered to Moses, and he delivered them to Israel. That's Sinai. It's an event in history after the Exodus. Sinai is in Exodus 20. 
everything before Exodus 20. So Genesis chapter 1 right through to Exodus chapter 19 occurs chronologically before Sinai. And what I want to demonstrate to you today, that the Ten Commandments were given to, or were, sorry, were upheld as authoritative and binding before Israel was established as a nation and before Sinai. You go, well, this is just for the Israelites. No. This was a standard before that nation was created because it is a universal standard of righteousness. And then what I'm going to show, after demonstrating that all of the Ten Commandments were upheld and binding before Sinai, I'm going to demonstrate that the Old Testament itself presents the Ten Commandments as a special law unique from the other ceremonies and statutes and ordinances in the Old Testament. It's special. It's a body of law that is unique from everything else. It's all attached to it in some way or another, but it stands unique. Stands as the legal foundation of the old covenant. It stands as the legal foundation of the new covenant. And it stands as the legal rule of all of humanity in all ages. The Ten Commandments. So it was enforced before Sinai, where it was revealed as laws written in stone by the finger of God. And... The Old Testament itself presents it to us as unique and authoritative. The Ten Commandments remain authoritative. In order to demonstrate that the Ten Commandments remain authoritative and are distinct, I must show that they're distinct from other Old Testament laws, statutes, and regulations because many will dismiss them on the grounds that, well, we don't enforce food laws anymore, so why would we enforce these laws? Or, well, we don't enforce the ceremonial laws, so why would we enforce these laws? Or we don't enforce the civil statutes of the Old Testament, so why don't we enforce these laws? We get to eat pork, unlike the Old Testament Israelites. We don't have a sacrificial system or a Levitical priesthood anymore. There's no church discipline for wearing two different types of fabric in your garment as it was forbidden in the Old Testament. Why have we done away with those statutes and ordinances and ceremonies and regulations? And yet I would still stand before you today and tell you that the Ten Commandments are different and binding. We don't just do away with the whole thing. People say, well, you know, we don't have the ceremonies anymore and we don't have the priesthood anymore and we don't have civil statutes anymore about two different types of seed in the soil or two different types of cloth and a garment. So we shouldn't have the Ten Commandments anymore either. We'll flush the baby down the drain with the bathwater, right? Some of those ceremonies were temporary for various reasons, and some of those laws were temporary for various reasons. So I hope to explain some of that. But the Ten Commandments remain unchanged because it reveals God's character to us. And His character is the standard of righteousness. So you look at the Ten Commandments, 
and you see God's character revealed. It's eternal. His character changes not. And so his moral law changes not. And the Ten Commandments, what they do is they reveal our natural obligations to God and our natural obligations to one another. So there's obligations that you and I have to God that are built into the natural world by the very ontology or makeup of the world. And there's obligations that we have to one another and our fellow man that are built into the natural world, nature itself, ontologically, the way that it's structured. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. When God enters into covenant with His people, into relationship with them, His character doesn't change, so the Ten Commandments don't change. But God, because He's God, has the prerogative to introduce positive law within the context of covenant. So you have the natural obligations within the Ten Commandments that don't change. And then when God enters into covenant, He has the prerogative to introduce positive law. For example, unlike the Old Testament believers, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Positive law is part of the new covenant. You will do this in remembrance of me, okay, until he comes again. It's a temporary positive law is part of this new covenant structure in which we find ourselves. Our baptism or even how we structure the churches. And in the old dispensation, the old covenant, there were specific Things like that, the ceremonies, various civil laws, various mandates that were given. It's God's prerogative to establish positive laws, but because God's character doesn't change, the natural obligations that we have to God and the natural obligations that we have to one another do not change. But the positive laws might change between covenants, which... Some have. And that's the Ten Commandments, is the natural obligations that we have built into our very nature. The Ten Commandments remain authoritative. Why? Here's my first point. Because they were enforced before Sinai. Because they were enforced before Sinai. So unlike food laws... Unlike ceremonial laws, unlike civil statutes, these were enforced before Sinai. The Ten Commandments were enforced by God. They were binding upon humanity before they were given and written in stone in Exodus chapter 20. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to walk through each one of the ten. And I'm going to show how they were binding before they were revealed in Exodus 20. That's what I'm going to do now. Because I want you to see this. 
go through each one, and then demonstrate that they were binding and authoritative upon all of humanity before they were received by Moses and the Hebrews at Sinai. So let's look at this. Commandments 1, 2, and 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto yourself any graven images, and you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. One, two, and three. Forbidding false gods, forbidding false religion, forbidding improper uses of God's name. Pharaoh violated all three. He erected and built a false religion in Egypt, hailing himself as God of the Egyptians, committing terrible blasphemies against God, and defying his name itself. Defying the name of God, lifting himself up as an idol as God, and proclaiming himself as a God in place of God Almighty. And is, is, is a consequence, is a judgment for that act, great and terrible things happened to Egypt and to Pharaoh. I don't need to go into them specifically because remember today I'm doing an overview. And beyond Pharaoh, in Genesis chapter 35, verse 2, all the things that I read, they'll come up on the screen here. So we've put them into the slides so you don't have to flip around in your Bibles. Genesis 35, verse 2, way before the giving of the Ten Commandments, Jacob said to his household, so his household include his wives, his children, his slaves, his servants, and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. So he told them to do away with the foreign gods, lest he violate the first table of the law. Commandments 1, 2, and 3 were violated by Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was published accord or punished accordingly. And Jacob, in order to uphold the name of God and not take his name in vain, invoking his name in vain, told his household to do away with their false gods and their idols in order to uphold commandments one, two, and three. What am I doing? I'm demonstrating that all of the Ten Commandments were binding before they were revealed at Sinai in Exodus 20. The fourth commandment is the commandment about the Sabbath day. Six days you shall labor, and the seventh day you shall rest. People think they hear the commandment, the fourth commandment, the Sabbath day, and they automatically think the only commandment in the fourth commandment is to rest. But the first aspect of honoring the Sabbath day is working for six days. So God doesn't just command us to rest on the seventh day, but He commands us to work for six days. And this is among the first commandments that God ever gave to Adam. Because he told the man in the garden before the fall, the Lord took the man in Genesis 2 verse 15 and put him in the garden of Eden to what? Work it and keep it. To work and labor. God himself in Genesis 2 verses 1 through 3 rested on the seventh day after his six days of work and creation. And then in Exodus chapter 16, 
few chapters before the law was given, Israel finds themselves in trouble for dishonoring the Sabbath. Exodus 16, verse 27 through 29. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let none go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. <clears throat> Before the commandment was given, God expected them to honor the Sabbath. He, he chided them for not honoring the Sabbath. How long will you forsake my Sabbaths? That's commandments one, two, three, and four now. We've looked at that were binding before Exodus 20. One, two, three, and four. How about commandment five? Honor thy mother and thy father that thy days may be long in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee. For those who memorize it in King James when they are younger. This is an important commandment because we're told in the New Testament that it is the first commandment with a promise. <clears throat> the promise is if you honor the Lord, your mother and father, your, land, your days will be long in the land that the Lord your God gives you. Ham's line, you remember Ham? What did he do? He shamed and dishonored his father Noah by beholding his nakedness and talking about it. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 25 and 27, he looked upon Noah's nakedness and shamed his father by going around talking about it and beholding his nakedness in a way that was wrong. And so what happens to Ham? His descendants are cursed. His descendants are the Canaanites from whom you get the Sodomites. When Israel went into the land, they were to destroy and dispossess the Canaanites. And what did God do with the Sodomites? He burnt them to the ground because they were perverts like their father Ham. Ham dishonored his father. And in dishonoring his father, he invoked the curse of God upon him. Shem and Japheth didn't receive that curse. They honored their father. Shem was the father of the Semitic people, the Jewish people, from whom were given the law of God. And so it stood. What is the promise that's associated with that commandment? Honor your mother and father that your days may be long in the land which your Lord your God gives you, and what happened? Well, Ham dishonored his father and his descendants were cut off from the earth. He received the opposite. The days of his family were not long in the land. They were cut from the land. What happened with Esau? Well, if you remember, Esau made his parents terribly miserable and his mother especially bitter because of his poor choice in the wives that he married. 
and making his mother bitter. He dishonored her. And Esau was not the child of promise like Jacob was. Now that, of course, is rooted in God's elective purposes. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated, which was written before any of them did anything good or bad. That being said, promise still stands. Honor your mother and father that your days may be long in the land which your Lord your God gives you. Pay attention, little children. That's commandment one, two, three, four, and five. The first half, you could say. All binding before they're revealed at Sinai. Commandment six, you shall not murder or kill. Well, God punished Cain for killing Abel in Genesis chapter four, verse 13. Cain became a wanderer. The descendants of Lamech fell into despair and destruction and judgment because he was a murderer. Shortly after, his father Cain was a murderer. So the sixth commandment was violated and the sixth commandment was punished. And in fact, after Noah exited the ark and God entered into the covenant with creation, with Noah, God said, Whoso sheddeth the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man, so that murder becomes the first instance of a capital crime where someone who commits murder, they must be executed. <clears throat> to my knowledge, every other capital crime in the New Test or the Old Testament, execution is the maximum sentence. Murder is, is, must be punished with execution, and there is no maximum sentence. That is it. That's the sentence. Murder is execution for murderers. That's the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment was upheld and it was binding before they were delivered at Sinai. How about the seventh commandment? You shall not commit adultery. The seventh commandment, well, we know that there's one city that ought to come to our minds as we think about that, and that's the city of Sodom and its sister city, its twin city, the, sister, or the city of Gomorrah. And one of the things we'll learn about the law of God that the, the spirit of the law goes much deeper than the letter of the law. So the yes, well, the spirit of the law is you shall, or the letter of the law is you shall not commit adultery. The spirit of the law is forbidding all forms of sexual immorality so that the Sodomites of Sodom violated the seventh commandment. And what did God do with them? He burnt them to the ground is an example of what God does with civilizations that reject him through sexual immorality. The seventh commandment. See, they're all standing and binding before they were revealed at Sinai. How about the eighth commandment? Thou shalt not steal. Adam and Eve, what did they do? They stole from God's tree. And they were sentenced out of the garden. And they brought death upon our entire race by doing that. How about the ninth commandment? Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Well, Cain lied to God about not knowing where his brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? Covering up his crime. Adam, 
pass the buck on to his wife. It was the woman that you gave me that made me do it. Bearing false witness in a court of law, especially. The ninth commandment is violated. So what have I demonstrated? Commandment one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. All binding before Sinai. How about commandment 10? Which forbids coveting. You shall not covet that which belongs to your neighbors. Well, Pharaoh coveted Abraham's wife. Abimelech coveted Isaac's wife. And they were punished accordingly. The sons of man, man coveted. They lusted after with their eyes. Or the sons of God, rather, lusted after with their eyes. The daughters of man. And that's one of the reasons God sent a flood upon the earth. The coveting nature within the sons of God that turned their hearts away towards the daughters of man because they found them beautiful. They coveted. What did Eve do with that fruit? She saw the fruit and she coveted. Why did, why did Lot choose Sodom? He was given the option. Which way do you want to go, Lot, when Abraham stood up there with him on the mountain? And Lot, what did he see? He saw that the city of the valley of the plain was green, like the Garden of Eden. And so he coveted Sodom and moved his tent towards that vile city. Coveted. So unlike the food laws and unlike the ceremonial laws and unlike the statutes, God enforced the Ten Commandments before Sinai. As John Bunyan said, it is evident that the substance of the Ten Commandments was given to Adam and his posterity under the command, eat not of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. That's what Bunyan said. I actually think it's to the point that it wasn't just that the Ten Commandments were evident and given before Sinai. I think all ten of the Ten Commandments were violated by Adam in the garden when he ate the fruit. Every one of them. So when Adam ate the fruit in the garden, he violated every one of the Ten Commandments. You say, how? Well, let me explain it to you. He violated the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, because he followed the devil. And in that moment, the devil became his god. He violated the second commandment because he made an idol out of his belly, chasing food. The apostle forbids us. They make gods out of their bellies because they crave their sensual appetites and they cannot control their eating habits. And that is what Adam did. He made an idol out of his belly. He violated the third commandment. And how did he violate the third commandment? Because he did not believe God and thereby took his name in vain. And by the way, when God caught him in his sin, do you know what Adam said? He turned to God and he said, it was the woman that you gave me that made me do it. So that he blamed God for creating the woman who he blamed for leading him into sin. Thereby taking the Lord's name in vain. He violated the fourth commandment because instead of 
Working, he was sinning, and instead of resting, he was sinning. Where he should have been working, he sinned. Where he should have been resting in God, he sinned. But either way, he violated the fourth commandment. He violated the fifth commandment because he dishonored his father who was in heaven. And by the way, that's the first commandment with a promise. I mentioned that, didn't I? Because it's a commandment that this society takes very lightly. Thou shalt honor thy mother and father that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. When Adam violated that commandment, what happened? It stood because he was kicked out of the land. Don't think, teenagers, that you can dishonor your parents and there's no consequences. It was the act of dishonoring his father that rendered him kicked out of the land. That's why that promise is associated with that commandment. You forsake what is being left for you by squandering it in sin, in other words. And what your parents leave behind is squandered to the evil one are simply not given to you. Dishonoring your mother and father. By the way, that's the great sin, one of the great sins of our society today. We dishonor our forebears. And we dishonor their legacy and the inheritance that they've left us in this great and beautiful nation that we have. And we despise what they've created so that we live in a generation that's tearing it down. The fifth commandment. Adam violated the sixth commandment because he killed himself and he killed his wife and he killed us in his terrible decision. His spiritual death came upon us and the death of the body became, began. Adam violated the seventh commandment because he committed spiritual adultery against God and he failed to protect the woman that God gave him. And he let the, the, the serpent lead her. In failing to protect the woman that God gave him and in failing to honor the Lord, he committed adultery, thereby violating the seventh commandment. Adam violated the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. How? He stole fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam violated the ninth commandment because he blamed the false witness of Satan, or sorry, he believed the false witness of Satan. Implicit in the ninth commandment is you don't believe false witnesses. You don't believe lies. That's how you, one of the ways you will learn that you obey the ninth commandment. You don't believe lies. By the way, you want to know about one of the sins of the churches during the COVID times? They believed and propagated lies. That's what they did. And not only did he believe the false witness of Satan, but he blamed his wife for his decision, bearing false witness against her, when as the man he should have taken responsibility. And he violated the 10th commandment. Why? Because he coveted that which was forbidden. Adam violated all 10 commandments in his sin. And unlike the food laws, and unlike the ceremonial laws, and unlike the civil statutes, God enforced the Ten Commandments prior to Sinai because they were binding even in the Garden of Eden. The Ten Commandments are our natural obligations to one another, and they are our natural obligations to God. The Ten Commandments. Now let me carry on a little bit here. 
with my final point. I'm going to wrap it up. It's not as long as that point. My first point was that the Ten Commandments remain authoritative because they were enforced and upheld as binding before Sinai. My second point is that the Ten Commandments remain authoritative and binding because the Old Testament Scriptures presents the Ten Commandments as distinctly authoritative. Outside of the Ten Commandments being, in effect, pre-Sinai, the Old Testament text sets it apart as distinctly as authoritative. For example, there is no other law written by the finger of God in stone, just the Ten Commandments. That in and of itself ought to tell you something. It's written in stone. You ever heard that? Well, it's not written in stone. Well, this is. Chapter 31, verse 18 of Exodus says, And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Those tablets were then put inside the Ark of the Covenant, inside the Holy of Holies, inside the temple, so they received the place of honor within the temple. Because they are the foundation for moral law. That's it. There is the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And unlike the statutes and the ceremonies and the ordinances, God added nothing to the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says that. After the Ten Commandments are given in Deuteronomy chapter 5, in verse 22 of Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly on the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and He added no more. And He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. They function is the moral constitution upon which all Old Testament law is built. And by the way, listen to this. I think this is a very important point. As we distinguish the Ten Commandments as the moral law apart from the rest of what's written in the Old Testament, ceremonies and so on, the prophets express outrage when the moral law is violated but the ceremonies are still kept. The prophets never express outrage in an instance of the ceremonies being violated and the moral law being kept. Because the moral law is higher than the ceremonies. I'll give you an example. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But what did I command them? But this I commanded them. Obey my voice. And I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in the way that I commanded you that it may be well with you. Similarly, in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, it says, For I desire steadfast love, speaking of covenantal faithfulness, as it is expressed in His law, and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. 
God expects obedience more than he expects ceremonies. They are chided for their violations of the moral law when they uphold the ceremonial law, but we can't find an instance of them being chided for upholding the ceremonial or for upholding the moral law and forsaking the ceremonial law. Both are important, but they're distinct. One is over the other. And by the way, I think this is the last scripture I'm going to go to this morning, but I think this is important because it helps us deal with our question about the Sabbath, which I promise if the Lord tarries, we'll deal with later on. Israel was forbidden to eat unclean food, but foreigners within Israel were not forbidden to eat unclean food. Israel was forbidden to sell unclean food to fellow Israelites, but Israelites were not forbidden to sell unclean food to foreigners. However, Israelites and foreigners together were expected to honor the Sabbath. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 14 through 21. It should be on the screen. You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You see that? They can give and they can sell unclean food to foreigners. They can't eat it for themselves. But Sabbath law, the fourth commandment is... On the seventh day as a Sabbath to the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work, nor you, nor your son, nor your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner within your gates. Moral law. What am I trying to show you? I'm trying to show you that the Old Testament itself presents the Ten Commandments as distinct, as a distinct body of law. Special, revealing our natural obligations to God and our natural obligations to one another. In fact, the various laws about separation, whether it's separation about seeds in the field, separation between foods, separation between fabrics, separation between Jew and Gentile, subsisted at the tearing of the veil when God's presence became near to us by the atonement of Christ because now there was no separation between Jew and Gentile because both were united by Christ and therefore the separation laws subsisted because they were there as a pattern. They were there to paint a reality, to teach something. And when the the temple veil was torn at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the separation between Jew and Gentile ceased to exist because now they were united together by faith in Jesus Christ. So the mystery was revealed. And as such, those various little separation laws that seemed to stupefy many people were, they ceased to exist too because they were there to teach a lesson about separation. The Ten Commandments are God's, are man's natural obligation to God and man's natural revelation to fellow men. However, within God's covenant, he has the prerogative to add positive law as he chooses. For example, in New Testament law, positive law would include baptism, how we structure our churches, the Lord's Supper, 
But the Ten Commandments, written by the finger of God in stone, reflect our unchanging natural obligations to one another and to God. Old Testament law, the whole body of Old Testament law, contains pattern laws, which are copies or shadows of realities, land laws, which are specific to Israel in the land, and then the moral law, which is our natural obligation to God and one another, which is the Ten Commandments. Summed up in two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. The Ten Commandments. So I've hoped from the Old Testament to demonstrate to you that the Ten Commandments are binding and authoritative. Next week, my desire is to demonstrate as much from the New Testament. The law of God is His standard of righteousness. And you know what the law of God does to you? Because it is His standard of righteousness, it is released in your heart to search out your unrighteousness. It's like a pack of dogs going after a raccoon. God unleashes the Ten Commandments into your heart so the Ten Commandments become like a pack of hounds going to corner the raccoon of your sin. And then you can shoot it. Okay? That's what the law does. It searches your heart. It's a search party that goes into your heart to find the sin, and then you find the sin, and it's your job to kill it. Hack it to pieces if you have to, but don't let it live. And the Ten Commandments are the tool that God uses. You, uses. And then when that sin is found out and it is searched out and it is cornered and, the, and those dogs are barking at that sin, that's when you run to Jesus for salvation. You go find the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins. The mercy of God in Christ. Because if the Ten Commandments are to do anything, yes, they're going to point out your sin. But yes, even more, they're going to point you to this loving Savior who obeyed the entire law and paid the price of your disobedience in His atonement on the cross. So if the Ten Commandments do anything, they point to the cross. And they tell you that you need Christ. If you haven't come to Christ, why not? You say you're not good enough. Well, that's the point. Come to Him because He forgives your sin. You say you're too ashamed. That's the point. Hide in Him. Hide in Him. Hide your shame in Christ. But come to Him because He's the only man that fully obeyed the law. And He's the man that became the substitute for the death that you deserve. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for our Lord Jesus who died for us as our penal substitute. Oh God, I pray that everyone here would believe and find forgiveness in him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.